America for 300 years has been the land of promise for the rest of the world. The land of new frontiers, new opportunities. Yeah, we spent 10 years to get up. Clicking sounds, sounds that reveal the presence of radioactive rain. The instrument, a Geiger counter, is converting radioactivity into sounds we can hear. And the hell with it. Good evening and welcome to Tank Riot. This is episode number 42. Now, we did put a question out in our last show if you could guess what the show was about, but you know what? None of you did. No one could guess what episode 42 of Tank uh, Riot audience was going is to a be little about. Slow. Could be a little slow or could just be indifferent. Completely <laughs> indifferent or I don't know. We don't have an audience. <laughs> we don't have an audience. It's really just, yeah, this is a circle jerk that we're doing and broadcasting to the world. Oh, God. But in any case, tonight's episode is dealing with Douglas, Douglas Adams, Adams and the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And other works. And other works, yes. And <laughs> other things like he's done. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really important to talk about Douglas Adams, um, mainly because of his contribution to science fiction and... and uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide is a is a giant pillar of his output, and that's yes. why the number forty two was so important, and why for episode forty two I really wanted to talk about you know such an important influence of mine. I I just oh. love his work. I love his art, but I think we should talk about other things as well. Besides, first of all, we should introduce Hitchhiker's ourselves. Guide to the Galaxy. I myself am Sputnik. I'm Victor, and I'm Tor. Already then, and collectively, <laughs> and you are the audience. We are tank right. Yes, and you are the audience. We're broadcasting from tropical Madison, Wisconsin. Yes, we 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 we're experiencing some wonderful fall colors. M O O N. That's yeah, very nice. nice. <laughs> well, first of all, though, we should update some of our our past uh, podcasts. Uh, there uh, on our. Regarding our Philip K. Dick podcast, there is a new book of an undiscovered Philip K. Dick work that's out in hardcover now called Humpty Dumpty in Oakland. And then there's also a so new... How do you have an undiscovered... It's been, what, over 20 years? Look, they're still doing collections of Jimi Hendrix music. Yeah, yeah it's true, know? too. But did someone buy an oil painting and tear the paper off the back and find the manuscript? Oh, who knows? <laughs> I mean, the yeah. guy probably looked like a pack rat. I mean, they're probably finding stuff all over. I mean, look, yeah. at, look at Tolkien. I mean, they, 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 what didn't they have that, like, shopping list of the Silmarillion or something? Mm. I don't know. In any case, yeah. Um, right. there's a new Hunter S. Thompson book coming out, uh, Growing Up Gonzo, which is interviews with a lot of people uh, that he knew, and they kind of talk about Hunter S. Thompson throughout his life. And... Of course, that movie with Johnny Depp, The Rum Diaries, will be um, coming soon. Coming fairly soon. Cool. And then also dealing with our Iran episode, <laughs> the United States, that would be us, has imposed new sanctions on Iran. Also, I don't know if you guys had seen the front line on Iran. I think we hit it first mm. and we're more topical. I think Frontline probably listened to us and then they use us to totally build wrong. their reports. So, yeah. you know, kudos to Frontline for Public having good television. taste. Yeah. You know, 
But I always like Frontline, but <laughs> Frontline's a good show. <laughs> it but, is. But anyways, it um, so now we have new sanctions. Yet yeah, new sanctions on Iran. I don't really know what more we can possibly sanction. We've frozen their accounts for <laughs> like thirty years, and it's like yeah, something we don't like their military, so we're gonna sanction. How do you sanction a right. military? And then we're uh, sanctioning their their banks. You know, ah, we decided ah. now oh. that's an interesting a- aspect you bring up. To you can sanction a military by taking the largest section of it and declaring them a terrorist organization, which is what our uh. our most wonderful ambassador to the world, Condoleezza Rice, did. You know, Condi's really been out there lately. She's she's uh, tried to uh, tell the Turks and the Kurds to cool it, <laughs> which of course worked beautifully since the Turks just shelled the living hell out of the Kurds. Where was she greeted by people with all the bleeding hands? Did you hear about that? I did not hear about this. <laughs> yeah, she, she was apparently approached by a protest that had some kind of paint on their hands. That ooh, that's know, a good one. Yeah, ooh, I don't know. Yeah, the uh, stigmata crowd. I guess it's better than uh, pie to the face because they could be in Guantanamo for like yeah eternity. <laughs> You'll never see the light of day again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, good but choice. She declared that the uh, Iranian Revolutionary Guard, or Officially, the Islamic Revolution Guard Corps um, is a terrorist organization. And, of course, it's got 125,000 active members. It has its own ground forces, Navy and Air Force, and controls Iran's strategic weapons. Past members include the current president, uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. So this is like a first step in really kind of isolating the country completely and utterly yeah but how does she know they're any more jaded than any of the other military organizations? she doesn't no yeah. no it's it's a very but miss rice did say that they were part of a comprehensive policy to confront the threatening behavior of the iranians now i don't know what they're particularly threatening with but they said miss rice accused iran of a litany of abuses including pursuing technologies that can lead to a nuclear weapon that again would be if you were listening to our iran podcast Nuclear technology that we've been giving them since 1954. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so damn them for listening. <laughs> so those are some of our updates from our from our past shows. Enjoy. I just don't know that with uh, the current uh, dollar problem, right? And you know the uh, some pundits and some uh, some uh, networks are claiming that the U.S. dollar is in very big danger of completely collapsing yes we'll be like the so, deutsch mark in the 30s this will be this little yeah i, oh, I don't know how we could possibly again again <laughs> like you doritos know, we're two weeks away from the iran episode where I, I said that the u.s couldn't possibly probably fund any kind of an attack you know no matter how much fox news wants this country to go to war right again with more people uh you know uh i i just don't see it falling together oh we're up, we're piddling on cuba now too we also said that uh, Bush said to Fidel Castro and anyone who was listening <laughs> that um, we would accept no less than complete democratic reform in Cuba. Well, let me tell you that Hitler had a wonderful approval rating. Yes, he did. And he was our a superstar. fair president is is currently boasting the worst approval rating in American history. So, and yet um, he goes. you know, around 24 percent. Who are these people? I don't know, but they obviously have their cards with them and they're ready to. Did he drop below ship. Nixon levels at Watergate? Seriously? <laughs> well, you know, that was like 28 percent. Yeah, I believe so. I believe so. Oh. But this is Zogby polling. Polling's different now. Um, right. You know, polling at the time of Nixon was much different. But I digress. Well, I tour would like to 
demand nothing less than total democratic reform in the United States. Um, <laughs> at least Florida. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, the thing now where they're, they're all trying to get their, their primary in literally in the month of January 2008. So I, I think it'll be like yeah. a super duper Tuesday <laughs> where they get all 50 goddamn like, yeah. states. It's going to be a flash surprise. Who's your, who's your president? <laughs> We'll have live election coverage as yes these campaigns draw to a close, like Sam Brownback's Pet President Ron Paul. And if Stephen Colbert gets in trouble with election law, we'll let you know about that. Too. Presidential considerer. No, I, yeah. I think he's in trouble if he if he actually uh, if he actually does file because it's just not possible. No, even as satire. No, that's right. I mean satire, <laughs> satire's way all the way to the presidency. That would just. <laughs> At that time, you really just have to give up your citizenship en masse. Well, but that would be preferable to mo- the majority of the other candidates, though. Oh, any of them. I mean, yeah. I mean, with Fred Thompson, I was actually l- trying to listen to him a little bit. Oh, my God. Really, there's there's nothing there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think he just likes he people to script. look at him. and Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's kind of annoying. I'm president. I think he'll be gone in the next like month, probably. I am thinking, too. He just doesn't really seem to be in it. Although he has a very young wife. Not as hot as uh, Dennis Kucinich's wife, though. That's never stopped Dennis Kucinich from She's losing an election campaign. <laughs> hey, but, you know, she'd make a hell of a first lady, I got to say. Who cares? It's never stopped Dennis Kucinich from losing an election campaign. <laughs> no, I'm just saying she, Mrs. Kucinich would be a very hot first lady. I'm just putting that out there, America. Right. Well, there's worse criteria to pick a president. Oh, and, yeah, it's been used. But... To move back toward Douglas Adams or Douglas Noel Adams DNA, yes, um, yeah, you know his initials DNA, Douglas Noel Adams. That was like nine months or so before they actually discovered DNA. Oh, that's you know that's kind of funny. Yeah. I did wow. not know that. You kind yeah. of assume it was afterwards, but yeah, he's DNA originally. He's original DNA. He's the first DNA. Mm-hmm. I like <laughs> I like how fans call him Bob Ad because he has this like so such bizarre signature mm-hmm. that it actually does look like and they they have a picture of it where it does look like Bob Ad. Mm-hmm. But he unfortunately passed away in uh, May of 2001. Far 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 too soon. Yes, and I was yes. actually shocked by his passing. I was very shocked as um, well. He was only 49. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah apparently he had some cardiovascular issue and he was exercising in a gym and he died abruptly and he is a i wish he could have procrastinated this because he was like the uber procrastinator he always procrastinated his work he always procrastinated novels sometimes to the point where his editors would move in with him and live with him (laughs) that's right yeah and 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 stay with him to make sure he was writing and take him on supervised walks and then put him back in whatever room where you going doug where are you going so this guy could push (laughs) deadlines like nobody else and one of his famous quotes was um i love deadlines I especially love that whooshing noise they make as they <laughs> pass by. <laughs> so, yeah, you might you might recognize that quote. Anyone who has seen the, I think it was the second movie of uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, where Johnny Depp is told by that woman who is a really bad actress and love interest in the film uh-huh. um, that someday you'll make the right decision. Oh, and 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 you know, and he says, I, I love those times. Um, I love the whooshing sound they make when they go by. So it's an exact oh, homage to Douglas Adams right there great. in Pirates of the Caribbean. Cool. 
Um, but but yeah, he he was born in England and in was it Cambridge, nineteen fifty two? Yes. His parents had another another uh, daughter, Susan, born in nineteen forty five. And when he was five years old, his parents separated, and yeah. which was not a common thing. No, no, that was it was pretty odd at the time. And you know, reading in in some of the the prefaces, especially for the posthumous works, you, you get a little more of a picture of who he was as a person, yeah. other than who he was as an author, because as mm-hmm. an author he was fairly stunning. But his his upbringing was kind of untraditional, very much so. And uh, apparently, like going to visit his father when he was living with his mother and they were fairly impoverished. And this, as his parents remarried, his father became more wealthy and he had step siblings and and all that upbringing became, uh, became uh, difficult for him. But he did say, you know, you know, as you're growing up, you know, whatever you have is normal for you. And for him, uh, he enjoyed the, (laughs) the institutional boarding life that, that he had been living and, he described it as having a, you know, cold, charismatic, comforting, passionate, uh, safe wall to kick against all the time. So, <laughs> so he didn't particularly mind having the boarding life that that he was living. No, he did not seem to. I thought it was interesting that he was he was six feet tall by the time he was twelve, and yeah. he topped out at six five. So I mean, he's a very tall man. Yeah, yeah. solid two meters. He, big guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I guess what I found the most interesting, I, I guess I really didn't know that much about his um, writing and comedy career previous to Hitchhiker's Guide. Now, let me ask you this. Have have either of you um, seen, listened to the, the the radio broadcasts? or I have only read the books. Yeah. I've listened to parts and pieces, but I only listened to them after I'd read all the books. Yeah, yeah. same here. That's how I did it, too. I, I they, they played the radio broadcast, I think, on... WHA, which is our local public radio, and I listened to those, but it was long after I had read the books. Yeah, and there was also a uh, BBC miniseries that I think that uh, Wisconsin Public Television showed, which was quite good. Now, my understanding is I, that the radio show actually came first for Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, mm-hmm. right? <coughs> Douglas was a writer, and he um he was interested in joining Footlights, and he was very much involved with the Monty Python group. And yes. he saw himself as an actor, and he was quoted as saying that he very much wanted to be John Cleese for the longest time until he realized <laughs> the part was taken, and, and he couldn't be <laughs> John Cleese. So he wrote for uh, for the Monty Python troupe, and he did a lot of writing in a lot of different uh, British comedy uh, parts, but he had problems uh, containing his particular writing style to the 32nd kind of sketch comedy narrative that you want to have sure. and and that turns out to be successful in that medium so it it didn't turn out so successful for him but he got to appear as an actor in some of the skits and he uh became lifelong friends with many of the monty python yeah. um you know actors i think he was originally discovered by graham chapman who is now deceased but i think was you could probably say it was probably one of the the more lunier members you know out there of of the pythons and uh so i thought that was kind of unique yeah i always wanted to see one of the early skits that he wrote for python that i don't know i don't think it got accepted was um a a skit about the difficulties in arranging the crawly paranoid society general (laughs) meeting (laughs) 
<laughs> trying to get a bunch of paranoids together for their <laughs> annual general meeting. <clears throat> now, on, I think I read that the first episode of Monty Python that he acted in was episode 42. It was episode 42. In fact, you are correct, which, again, is another tie-in. Plays very well into and, and uh-huh. there's some speculation about whether or not that is, you know, the... Part of the reason why sure. 42 plays to be such an important number. Uh-huh. I like this. And at the beginning of episode 44, Mr. Neutron, Adams is dressed as a pepper pot. <laughs> that was that was a really later one, Mr. Neutron. And they had Graham Chapman as like this big haired British superhero. <laughs> it was pretty funny. But, but, but apparently, you know, because he didn't fit into the writing style so much and because things didn't pan out for him some people became wildly successful in writing these sketches right but but he didn't suffer that same success and he went on to do all kinds of odd jobs and he was uh, some kind of chicken shed cleaner yes he was he's done yeah. all kinds of weird odd jobs and because he of his a size bodyguard. a bodyguard which i he was found a bodyguard for qatar and mm-hmm. he famously one of his anecdotes for being there there are several anecdotes that he had relayed and one of them was that at one point in a famous fancy hotel which i don't know the name of uh the the princes or the royalty tried them all mm-hmm. and then ordered out for pizza and then, i thought it was hamburgers yeah, yeah they were hamburgers yeah, so, yeah something like that wow. and, i wasn't there and then at another point they uh a prostitute went up to the room to spend time with the royalty and then left and said well at least you can read while you're working. <laughs> I love that. On the way out. <laughs> That's great. Well, and uh, I, what I also thought was cool was that he uh, was a script editor for Doctor Who. Now, this would have been, and he actually contributed a couple episodes, um, and this would have been during the um, very successful Tom Baker. Years. Tom Baker. You know. My favorite Doctor Who of all time. I have to say, Tom Baker was really the bomb. You know, he was like Harpo Marx with a long scarf, <laughs> you know, and talked. I mean, he talked. Like, that was different. But you know. <laughs> no, that would have been cool. I would have that would have been very nice. Now, Harpo Marx is Dr. Who. <laughs> <laughs> but he Get in my TARDIS. <laughs> <laughs> I thought what was cool, too, was that um, his he later married uh, the woman who played Romana. Uh, on Doctor Who, which, if if you hmm. recall, was his um, partner in the in the TARDIS with K nine, the robotic dog. She was kind of a wild woman, and she had like this like little leather outfit on, and she always carried a knife. And that's Mrs. Adams, right? Which I I thought was quite <coughs> unique. But um, I thought it was fun that around it was somewhere around that time, I believe, in 1979, that he and John Cleese were working on. A project, and a lot of his projects fell through, and he didn't have a follow through on all of them. But one of them was <laughs> a spoof on the Guinness Book of World Records. Yeah, uh, and I wish I could, you know, I wish they would have done something more with it because you can almost visualize it in your head. But it was aliens coming to Earth, and uh, they were so much more athletic than us, right? That, that they blew all our records in major athletic competitions, and then humans held. All the records in really obscure and weird, you know, Guinness Book kind of <laughs> like records. Like pong kind of. <laughs> like pogo sticking underwater kind of competitions <laughs> that only a human could actually, you know, pull off. And I thought that was a really funny idea, you know. 
and him working with John Cleese, just the idea of that would have been well. The hilarious. two of them, I mean, my God, they were both yeah. like six five, six six. I mean, that must have been kind of funny in and of itself. Yeah, it was. It was at that time that he wrote the meaning of Lif, L I F F, and and that that eventually got expanded into the deeper meaning of Lif. Um, I think that was with Terry Jones, was not, mm-hmm. or no Lloyd, um, John Lloyd. Okay. Uh, and uh, Terry Jones also worked with with him as well, but. It's kind of like a Sniglet book. I, I loved Sniglets. I don't know if you remember oh, Sniglets. I, I do. They were uh, Rich Hall. Yeah, Rich Hall would yeah. always do the Sniglets on HBO. Like uh, a bumper berg is that iceberg that builds on the back of your car. You know, bumper berg. <laughs> he had one. I can't remember the name of it now, but I always remember the description of it. It was that piece of lint that you tried to vacuum five or six times. You pick it up and you put it down just to give it one more chance. <laughs> <laughs> but the but the Douglas Adams ones, what they did is uh, they they used words that were not at all in existence, right? And so they made up words. I, I found Sniglets always a little bit more funny because you could tell they were like combining things. Oh sure. But with Douglas Adams, they were making up whole new words, and sometimes they were assigning you know cities that were um, English cities to a certain term of <laughs> malaise or something that they were trying to describe. <laughs> so have any of these words gotten into common language yet? I don't know. I, I really you know, don't know. That would be a good that, thing to check out. That would be definitely. If you, use one, if, if you use one of Douglas Adams' words regularly, please email feedback at tankriot.com. By all means. I'm trying to think so, of one, yeah. that, one that stands out. but uh, Oh, there was one word. I can't remember what the word was, but it was uh, it, it describes me particularly well. Um, it's the kind of person who does all the dishes except for the pot and the cheese grater and the pan that you cook the fondue in. <laughs> like, you, you leave everything that's kind of on the stove and you don't mess with that when you're doing all the dishes. Because <laughs> that's particularly disgusting. Those are different dishes. They don't count. As They're dishes. like implements. <laughs> I can't do those. I'm sorry, I didn't see those. I didn't know they were dirty. <laughs> Now, if our listeners have not um, are not familiar with the books in the so-called five-part trilogy, yeah. um, and of course, it begins with The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which was originally published in 79. And it was the radio drama on the BBC first. Yes, and it was. Douglas Adams did not have any idea where he was going with this, but he got paid pretty well for it, and he was very happy to do it, and he was having a great time doing it. Oh, yeah. So the original radio drama, as most purists would say, that is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I would say that's probably true. Well, I, but but I, I would say for, for my benefit, like from what I got out of it, I read the books later, and he got to add so much detail to these novels, right. and it had such a good voice, and he has such a good writing voice mm-hmm. that for me... I enjoyed the books so much more than you know what I've heard. The you know it, it, listening to the BBC works is almost like hearing an abridged version of something I had I had read, and I love the voice so in with my the head books, when I'm reading expanded the books. Kind of, the, but, the but you know if you talk to anyone who grew up on the BBC, you know they they really value that as a much better version of the Hitchhiker's hmm. Guide. I see. But, well, you know, everyone's got a, yeah. you know, particular you know, canon for, for anything. But I would also mm-hmm. say uh, Douglas Adams has all of these books available. I'm not sure exactly where. I'm sure we'll have links up on our website. But he has read them all. So you have the original author doing his own readings of the books, unabridged and abridged. 
and and there are other readings as well. Oh, and you mean books on tape. Books on tape. Books yeah. on tape. Well, not like anyone uses tape anymore. Yeah. <laughs> right. But they're all available real, online real wire, in you audiobook know, format, probably at some kind of audiobook website. Um, but anyway, go ahead, Spud. Well, all I was going to say was, is uh, I've never read anything that better marries Monty Python-esque kind of British humor and science fiction better than these books. I mean, it's it's good science fiction, but it's just good comedy too, and yeah. that's really tough. I've never seen anybody come close to this. So. The second mm-hmm. book was uh, the Restaurant at the End of the Universe. Mm-hmm. The third was Life, the Universe, and Everything. Uh, fourth was So Long and Thanks for the Fish, and number five is Mostly Harmless. Now, myself, I've only read um, up to So Long and Thanks for All the Fish. I never uh, read the the fifth. Um, Mostly harmless. You did, Victor, and you said it was is quite a yeah. I've read the I've read them all. Tone. I've read them all, and you know, some people yeah. uh, have have said that you know his influences have changed over time while he was reading, and I forget the name of a uh, big influence on his, but most of it is uh, science fiction of the time or uh, space travel type, and then right. he starts to move toward the parallel universe type of uh, mm-hmm. science fiction, and then he moves towards. Um, all kinds of time travel mixed with parallel universe. Uh, but uh, he wrote Mostly Harmless, the fifth book in the trilogy, in 1992. And it was shortly after he was married in 1991. And apparently it was a very turbulent time in his life. And he hasn't really said why. But the fifth novel turns out to be fairly bleak. It is a really bleak yeah. novel. And for anyone who's a huge fan of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, as I was when I read them, as they came out, when I got to the fifth one, I was seriously like burned by it. It seriously depressed me for a few weeks. Okay. Because yeah. it was such an uplifting and fun novel mm. series that, that the ending was very harsh. And yeah. he has admitted that it was a very turbulent time for him and said he'd like to revisit it and, and go back to it. And we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. Hmm. Yeah. I read mostly harmless too. It, it, you know, it was okay, but it it was not my favorite book in the series. Now, let me say that the sure, first but... book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, is a wonderful introduction yeah. to beautifully absurd science fiction. Um, and what he always said was when he started off the project, his ideas were Arthur Dent was going to be British and everyone else was going to be not held back. <laughs> by their ethnicity <laughs> basically so right. he had one british character and everyone else was going to be allowed to be whatever they were going to be <laughs> and um uh-huh. it was a story about um an alien uh, uh an alien culture coming to make a bypass and they were going to have to destroy earth in order to do it because you know vogons yeah. had to get somewhere the vogons. on time i love the vogons <laughs> they were all about paperwork yeah and for the greater good so for the earth greater was good, in the so way we're going to tear apart we're going to blow up earth and uh ford uh prefect shows up as an alien who's been living on earth and for the past you know yeah. 10 years or so uh learning about earth culture in order to write an entry into the world's most important guide to the universe, which is the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. And Ford Prefect manages to help our British character, Arthur Dent, escape the Earth um, uh, in, in order to go move into the Vogan ship and, and escape from there. 
uh, so that he yeah. can write his entry about Earth. And it turns out, after spending years and years on the planet Earth, uh, Ford Prefect's analysis of the Earth for the entry uh, in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is going to be mostly harmless. <laughs> so, <laughs> and the, what I liked is uh, uh, the reason when when Ford came down uh, to Earth and and initially, you know, got there, he he chose he wanted to choose a very common name, but he miscalculated what the dominant species was. He, he thought it was automobiles. <laughs> yeah. So he put, picked Ford Prefect, which is apparently a common car in Great Britain. In Great Britain. Oh, that's, oh God, that's great. Well, and, and Douglas Adams also recounts the story of how he came up with the whole idea, which was he was laying down in a field near Innsbruck, Austria, drunk. And well, he was, he'd been hitchhiking across Europe. Right. According to the story, yeah, and and looking up at the stars with the Hitchhiker's Guide to Europe right. on his chest. There's some there's some contention about that that he might have been, you know, romanticizing that it might not have actually been that way, been but quite who knows? Way, who knows? Yeah. Um but he has later said that I've rec- I've recalled that telling that story so many times that I can't remember the actual event. <laughs> so just, he just remembers telling people that and that's what he keeps telling people it's the story itself but what's interesting about the uh the series is that it, it gets increasingly complicated throughout all of his novels are just i i would say divinely complicated these are mm-hmm. hugely complicated novels and you know you never you, you wouldn't want to read a synopsis of a douglas adams novel unless you've already read the novel because i was i was reviewing some of them like the restaurant at the end of the universe and looking at mm-hmm. what happens in the novel and so much happens and, and so much happens so fast. But I believe it's in that novel that his favorite band, uh, Pink Floyd shows up. Yes. Now, uh, Douglas Adams is a huge music fanatic and a musician himself and a musician himself. Yeah. He's got, well, he had <laughs> like 25 left-handed guitars. He was a huge mm-hmm. left-handed uh, guitar player. And he was invited on stage, I believe, on his 42nd birthday. Yes. With Pink Floyd to play a couple songs, including Brain Damage and another one I forget the name of. But uh, he accepted and played guitar on stage with Pink Floyd. I think it might have been Eclipse or awesome. something. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally How awesome. That so, so the band in Restaurant, I think it was Restaurant at the End of the Universe, was called Disaster Area. Right. And they were the not only the oh. loudest band in the universe, but the loudest sound ever. And and uh-huh. they're and they're and they're I especially um, like that part. Their spaceship was was uh set to crash into the sun, which of course is a Pink Floyd song. Right. Set the controls, set the controls to the heart of the to sun. To the heart of the sun. And and the ship huh. that they flew in was the Heart of Gold, which mm-hmm. of course is a Neil, Neil Young, Young song. reference. Um there's references to Paul McCartney throughout. Oh yeah. yeah. He and Procol Harum. Procol He's a huge Procol Harum fan, and then yep. he invited, is it Gary Brooker? Yes. Uh, he he just, he made sure that he met some of these people, and I think it was at his 40th birthday that uh, he sang every verse of The Whiter Shade of Pale at uh, Douglas Adams' place. Wow. Huh. And there are, are there verses like that were scrapped. Or something? There's like four, and they're they're big. And I now need to know them. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess I kind of curious now too. But well, also well, well, uh, back to uh, Pink Floyd. Uh, Douglas Adams is credited with 
credited with coming up with Pink Floyd's 1994 album, The Division Bell. (laughs) That's great. And I saw Pink Floyd at that concert tour. Yeah, and then Gilmore donated uh, 5,000 pounds to Douglas Adams for uh, coming up with the title. The title comes from one of the lines in one of the songs on the album, The Division Bell. Mm-hmm. And uh, Douglas Adams named it, and he gave five thousand pounds to Douglas Adams to give to one of his favorite charities, which I'm sure went to SaveTheRhino.org. Right. Um, um, he was a very big ecologist, uh, a self-described mm-hmm. radical atheist. In fact, um, a very good friend of his, Richard Dawkins, who wrote The God Delusion, mm-hmm. he dedicated that book to Douglas Adams. I was reading The God Delusion, and the first thing I noticed when I opened it up was it was dedicated to Douglas Adams. Mm-hmm. And I said, I shall continue <laughs> until the end. <laughs> you know, like, no matter what yeah. happens. Sure. But uh, but he, he did describe himself as a radical atheist at one point. Um, it, it just came up that way because he was getting sick of people asking him if he was just on the fence or whatever, and he wanted to right. put an end to that. <laughs> yes. He was like, no, no. I'm a radical no. atheist. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we, we were talking about that just earlier today, is that, you know, we both consider, ourself, consider ourselves atheists, yet still find ourselves very much uh, fascinated by, by religion and theology. I, I mean, love religion. I find it very interesting. Doesn't make me a seeker, <laughs> just makes it interesting well he was a huge fan of bach and and he had said of bach that you know he loves the the lutheran i believe that's uh pronounced batch okay (laughs) he's a huge batch fan (laughs) i love batch (laughs) batch has done so much Uh, you talked about specifically johann sebastian (laughs) right right johann sebastian batch all right yeah he's not the guy with the horrible giggle but uh, that 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 he loves the music, and even though it was written, and he loves choral music as well, and yes. even though it was written for that intent, it is still beautiful, you right. know, in its own right. And just because he disagrees with Bach, he still finds the music utterly beautiful and cried every time he heard it. Sure. Um, well, I, yeah. I liked also too that. Um... When it came to the question of, you know, what is the answer to life, the universe, and everything? And the super intelligent race had to come up with an alternate question. It was, how many roads must a man walk down? Which, of course, is Bob Dylan's blown in the wind. <laughs> right. So, you know, he, he pulled quite a few um, musical elements into his, uh, his stories. But, you know, uh, oh, go ahead. Let's see. Uh, well, actually, I was going to ask: Have have either of you seen the um, theater release movie? What was it like a two thousand? Yeah, it was a two thousand five film. Have not. Oh, two thousand five. Yeah. That's right. And, okay. You know, I've seen it a number of times. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I, I have. And you know, I really thought it was a great film. I thought the actors did a really wonderful job. And you know, Douglas Adams had spent years and years and years trying to get this film made, and he said the process of getting a film made is very much like trying to make a good steak by calling people into the room one after the other and having them blow on it because <laughs> it takes forever and nothing ever happens. And mm-hmm. um, finally, posthumously, the film was actually made and it, it turned out to be really well. It's a good blend of the BBC style of uh, low impact CGI. Okay, you know what I mean. <laughs> and and there are some really great nods because um, 
I mean, for any real fan there, you you noticed when they were in the line uh, at the Vogans to get a permission form to free Trillian from the Vogan death uh, trip. They were uh, in line, and Marvin, the the original Marvin BBC character, was standing behind them in line. I'm not getting you down, am I? Uh, Marvin the robot. Oh. Marvin the depressed robot. Oh, uh, paranoid Ooh. android. Yeah, Marvin the <laughs> paranoid android. By the end of the Hitchhiker's Guide series, if you calculate it, Marvin himself is about thirty-seven times older than the universe itself. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, he he finally suffers a failure late in the in the series. But uh, the old Marvin that appeared in uh in uh in the BBC version is standing in line behind them. So there's some really great nods to the BBC. Sure. And there's some really great nods to what, you know, Douglas Adams had originally done. Um, and I really hope they continue and do another film. Uh, it, it, it didn't get a good reception at the box office, but I would encourage anyone who's read uh, read the books to go out and see it. At least, okay. you know, when I was watching it, I thought they were covering multiple movies. And then when I went back, I was like, holy cow, no, all of this occurred just in the one book. So, I mean, so much wow. happens in these books that you don't even realize while you're reading it. But if you're going to try to put it on film, it just goes by so fast. There's so much, I see. you know, about well, the construction of the read universe. Because I honestly yeah. have never seen it. And I guess yeah, me neither. I was I was taken in by the bad buzz. But you should watch it. All right. Yeah. Well, and, then. you know, I will also say that I have not lost my taste. You should watch the Transformers as well, because I finally watched that on DVD after not watching that at all. And I thought that was a fine film. I'm all over, you know, maybe for DVD. But, you know, maybe I would have been disappointed if I went to the theater. But I I think there's a certain problem in our culture of destroying movies because of hype. Is there any nudity or semi nudity? Yeah, there's semi nudity. (laughs) Well, it's not the trans one of the Transformers, right? I mean, we're talking well, I, th- I, I think, think Bumblebee gets buck naked. Oh, <laughs> well, back he's to a tranny. Back he's to a tranny. Douglas, <laughs> back to Douglas Adams. Transformer. I, I, I haven't seen the Douglas Adams More movie than yet. But I never thought of it that way. <laughs> I'm frightened now. But I could I see where it, it might be hard for the general American audience to digest Douglas Adams because he's so whacked out. And it's well, so maybe that's non-linear. And... Well, it's British. It's British style it's humor. British. Yeah. It's very absurdist, and yeah. you, you just got to kind of uh-huh. let yourself go. And honestly, you have to enjoy British humor. Like, I truly enjoyed Monty Python. Oh God! And yes. a lot of Americans truly enjoy Monty Python. So, if you can accept yeah. that style of humor, and yeah. and we are approaching that type of culture more and more in America as we <laughs> yes. speak, that it is just really fun stuff. And and he. It has a great written word, and it does translate well in the in the better hands. And I'm glad they didn't make this film 20 years earlier because they could blend good CGI with good acting with some of that lo-fi CGI puppetry, mm-hmm. you know, in order to create the Vogons and some of the other characters and the mm-hmm. strange situations they got into in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Okay, well done. But he didn't just do the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And one thing you can see in the Hitchhiker's Guide, he always wrote about what was happening to him. And and some people have said that you can notice that Hitchhiker's Guide uh, is when he was really poor, and it takes place in a lot of pubs, and you know there's a lot of talk about that. And then restaurant at the end of the universe, he had gotten some money, and so he starts writing about accountants, and he starts writing about extravagant restaurants and the ridiculousness of that. So he wrote about where he was and what he was writing about, and 
what he was experiencing at the time. But he also wrote two books. Um, he's only written technically seven full novels. Um, five of them were Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy novels. And then two of them were about a detective called Dirk Gently. <laughs> and Dirk Gently was a holistic detective. And <laughs> I, I've read the, the two Dirk Gently novels, and I thought they were really, really fun. So if you've read uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, these would be other great novels that you could check out. Um, I, I've I've read Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, not the other one, but I, I really like this book. Yeah, that's the original. That's the original. And yeah. that, that is really a fun novel about a detective who does nothing to achieve his goals, but observe everything, however absurd it might be. And then finally, everything falls into place for him in the end. He is a lazy detective and yeah. just follows the plot. But what I what totally abuses <laughs> me, and especially about the time I, I read it, I was moving a lot and helping a lot of friends move. And it, the whole the, the major overarching plot to the whole thing is trying to get a sofa up a flight of stairs. Mm-hmm. Well, in fact, I seem to remember having that problem with your house, Victor. Yes, yes, we did. We did. I might have quoted the novel. Yeah, I probably did. Too. I think I went to my Mac and I tried to program a computer program that would help us solve the issue. Yeah, and get the and my computer just saying kept saying, "Cut it up, cut it up." Yeah. We're not going to cut up my sofa. <laughs> but uh, he he wrote a couple of Dirk Chanley novels, and that one. That anecdote, it sticks with me forever, that, yeah. that that part of the story. But it was originally a Doctor Who story. So the character of Dirk wow. Gently is very much like Doctor Who, mm-hmm. who also follows the same pattern of not doing a whole lot, but having things turn out in a certain way exactly. because of his attentiveness. So Dirk Gently is kind of, um, because he couldn't get some of the rights and, and he couldn't get published on some of those, he wrote it as a Dirk Gently story. He also wrote... The Long Dark Tea Time of the Soul. Um, and that that included a character that I always remember, which was an American character living in London who always ordered pizza for delivery. And in London, they didn't do pizza for delivery. So she would order these extravagant pizzas. <laughs> like, I want seven pizzas with this, that, and the other thing on it. And how much is that? You know, 300 pounds. And well, we'll uh, come down and pick it up. And she's like, no, 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 it's for delivery. And they would say, well, we don't deliver. Oh, I'm sorry then. Never mind. <laughs> Cancel the order. <laughs> Just in order to try to aggravate them because she wanted pizza delivered to her apartment. But uh, it was all about uh, the dying gods that uh, couldn't find a place to go. And it's he, he writes very nuanced, complicated time travel novels. And this one involved Norwegian, Norse gods, Thor and Odin. And it was very, very funny. Very oh, I, I think I'll definitely have to read that. I did not read any of the Dirk Gently novels either. But, mm-hmm. you know, if our listeners have a favorite, um, Douglas Adams, by all means, let us know at feedback at tankriot.com. Um, just, uh, again, we could we could talk about a future show in where, um, if you, the viewer, can guess, or the listener, I should say, can guess what we're going to talk about, there will be prizes involved. All we can give you for a hint here is that it is a famous American film director who uh, does things fast and cheap and has influenced many, many big directors. 
I would also point out about Douglas Adams, he was a huge Mac fan. Yes. He was one of the first English people to buy a Mac and own a Mac, and he was one of the first people to actually test operating system 10. Yes. Which 10.5 comes out in on 10:26. By the time you hear this, tomorrow, leopards are leopard. around. Leopard. <laughs> I'm going to get I'm going to get I a need t-shirt. Leopard. <laughs> leopard. <laughs> There's a lot to Douglas Adams and uh you know, read his novels if you can and and please check out uh some of his uh favorite charities as well. Yes. Thor, anything? I I got to tell you I enjoyed his books and uh guess I've read most of them, didn't know about two of them. Have to read those in the future. Yeah, me too. I, I'm I'm in for a long dark tea time in the soul. I'm reading yeah. Salmon of Doubt right now, which was posthumously put together um, collections that were pulled off his Mac hard drive. Okay. Um, it was originally a Dirk Gently novel that was going to be transferred, probably into the sixth installment of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, in some format of the other or the other. But since he did pass away, we're never going to get the knowledge of what he might have. Uh, changed from the very very bleak ending of mostly harmless if you've uh, read three or four i would go ahead and read the fifth and, and see where he decided to to go with things because i need more people to commiserate with um, <laughs> but if there was a sixth installment i would have loved to have read it and maybe in an alternate universe i'll get the chance but since all, all i can get is the salmon of doubt i'm gonna read it all right sounds good well thank you and good night from Tank Riot. This is episode 42. Yeah. Don't panic. Application not responding. Application not. Application not responding. Application not. Who really gives up? Shh. All the garbage cans are burning. Are rolling down the street. It's just the same thing you heard yesterday. You won't believe in news today. Fall asleep in front of the TV. You better get out of its way. Application not responding. Application not. Application not responding.
Here I am, brain the size of a planet, and they tell me to take you up to the bridge. Call that job satisfaction, because I don't. Do you want me to sit in a corner and rust, or just fall apart where I'm standing?